0: Starting with the first thing that you put on in the morning, Beneath inspires you to be your most authentic self. Get ready to experience increased comfort that radically outperforms anything that you've tried before while leaving minimal impact on Mother Earth. Use the code UNITY to get 15% off at checkout at Beneath.com. That's B-N-3-T-H dot com. Hey everyone, welcome to the... Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm here with, uh, by far, I would like to say one of my coolest guests, but then again, Brian Bishop will kick me in the teeth if I do. But I'm going to say it. It's Travis Pastrana. Oh, my God. I'm really excited to have you. I've followed you since I've been a child, since we've been a child, because you're not far off me, my friend. And uh, I've gotten to know you through distance like so many of your fans and so many of the people that have been around you. But welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you are slammed.
1: No, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Maryland weather, I tell you, we just had a bunch of rain. So everyone's, we had a production crew. They always build on those extra days. You're like, we will need that. And then on the last day, you're pinned wide open. But it is an honor to be on the show. And I really appreciate you having me.
0: Thank you. Um, yeah, you uh, you're kind of way out on the East Coast. And I know you get the s- similar weather, actually, to what we get in BC. I know it's pouring rain today, but we're not filming. So I cannot complain. What are you guys filming today? Nitro Circus stuff?
1: Always filming something. Yeah. Nitro circus out here. Um, more of a, so just ramp building day, kind of getting everyone out here, just figuring out what's going on. Um, but we kind of had everything pushed back. I've uh, been doing a lot of racing here recently, uh, power boats last weekend, but then we had a rally test, uh, in between that and uh, another rally uh, the weekend before. So, uh, been fun trying to get nitro rally cross off the ground, which is like basically, um, motocross with a roll cage. And, uh, so right now today, uh, we're filming both for uh, can-am and, and BRP. Um, but also doing some nitro circus and have this uh, young little eleven-year-old uh, girl who's launching three sixties over huge gaps and, uh, her and her her little brother Steele or just, just she's uh or Steele her little brother is uh, seven years old and he's flying everything and he, but all he wants to do is ride the dirt bike so that's he's just in the mud out there just crashing everywhere it's, it's been fun.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that so much. You you guys foster such a creative, unique, and outgoing community when uh, when you see the people that you hang around. I know, I just want to start off, like for the people who haven't, and I, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet that doesn't know who you are, but if you don't, I'm going to rattle off a little bit, correct anything that I'm wrong, because I've done the best I can, but I am telling you, you have a list of literally accomplishments that is longer than the length of my office. And so you've got 17 X Games medals. 11 of those are gold, right? Tell me, I'm right that's on correct. that, okay? You freestyle, <clears throat> you race, multiple disciplinary, like it's you. You switch from one to other, like it's absolutely nothing. You're you're literally the 20th century's sports icon. I like to think you're our times uh, evil Knievel on steroids. So that's huge. You have video games based on you. You're a three-time champion. In the motocross disciplinary, whether it's supercross or outdoor, right? Am I wrong on that?
1: So, um, yeah, I won one supercross championship uh, in 2001. So getting older, won outdoor in in 2000, uh, won the motocross of nations uh, for the U.S. uh, in 2000 as well. And then uh, mostly the injuries moved to four wheels uh, after that.
0: Yeah, I know. I remember watching the first time that you did a double, uh, no, the first time you did a double backflip. Yeah. I remember watching that. Oh my god! Uh, I remember watching all the things you've done because that's what we do when you have somebody like you. And then you kind of jumped into like flat track. I watched a flat track video recently of you that looked like your knee was going to go sideways. I don't know how you do that. That's makes my knees ache just watching those videos. So um, and and I think most importantly, you're a really really supportive badass husband and father to two really gnarly little girls. And I got to witness you take your girls to school in a rally. Was that a rally car? What did you take them to school in? <laughs>
1: could, could have been. Yeah. No. I, I just I drive a. They call it the race car. But yeah. No. It's uh, just a Subaru STI. But now uh, we have fun when we say donuts. Uh, we're not talking about Dunkin'. We're <laughs> talking about spinning in circles. So um, it's funny when you. Take some of the uh, some of their classmates back to they call Pastrana Land, and uh, just to see my my little girl is seven years old. and um, We have the restrictor plate on her thousand cc um, Can-Am set at forty eight miles an hour because that's the that won't over jump the biggest jump that we have for on her track. So at seven years old, she jumps over like my uh, wife Lindsay, who's also a two time world champion and multi time X Games gold medalist. But Lindsay, yeah. uh, she was driving the car underneath my seven-year-old jumping over top of her um, on a big double. So it's, you know, it's normal-ish
0: family. I would like to think it's normal. I'd like to think that's, I would like to see more normal behavior like that. I think we would be all uh, in a better society if we did. It's interesting to watch uh, those little girls too, because you've got a group of people around your family that kind of access surrogate parents. You've got Jelaine, and then you've got all these other, you got wheels, you got all these guys around you. And it's like, these girls are being raised in such an, such an environment that they're going to, they're going to grow up to be such powerhouse individual women. And, and I know in our day society, you, I don't think that you, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Maybe I don't think that you worry about your girls growing up in this society because of who they are and how powerful they already are as little humans and just bad-asses as in a tiny package. But I mean, for most girls growing up in society, you know, they're going to have to deal with issues that your little girls aren't because I feel like nobody would mess with those children.
1: Um, well, everyone says, I can't believe Like my wife, she was skating on tour a month after having our first child, and we're traveling Europe with a one month old, um, you know, and that continued. And tour life is, is very, it's, it's very carny, very circus. Um, but everyone says, How could you do that? And for Lindsay and for myself, it's been so cool seeing them grow up with, yeah, I mean, they're, crazy they're you know whatever you want to call most of the guys that are guys and girls in the nitro circus uh, but they're a family and they're so passionate and if they could have half the passion i don't care what they do but if they have the passion that my wife has for skating or i have for dirt bikes and cars or um aaron wheels fatheringham has for wheelchair uh, motocross you know like it doesn't matter what these guys have what kind of injuries they have what kind of um you know a lot of the guys are ocd or adhd or they were labeled with these these things that say you can't be as good as everyone else but really it just means that you can be extraordinary um, in other ways and i feel like the hardest part is my girls they're so used to believing that anything is possible and they have so much confidence and they're so outgoing you got to kind of bring it back a little bit and be like okay like you know rules are there for a reason like we have to understand before you can break any rules you have to understand all the rules and why they're there i know that doesn't probably make sense to anyone that's listening to this but that's my biggest thing you always have to have respect and you have to know the rules and uh you know you have to work with what you do if you want to make it make it work but i feel like right now is the best time to be a female growing up i mean you know you've had people that have proved it you've had danica patrick racing for the win at the indy 500 which is the biggest motorsport on earth you know i mean like biggest single day motorsport they've 800,000 people that go there i mean this is you know, there's been girls in the top eight right now. You have Brian Deegan's daughter, uh, Haley, who's just killing it. She's crushing it in in NASCAR. And, you know, she's getting into tough time to come in because they don't get the practice. And, you know, the rookies are definitely struggling a little bit, um, not having, you know, with COVID and everything kind of shut down, but um, she's still doing extraordinary. Um, You have so many and just powerful. I mean, their mom, she won the world championship in 2019. Like, two years ago she's still one of the world's best skateboarders and just to to know that you know i know we're we'll supposed to be the parents that are you don't know anything in a couple of years but right now with a six and a seven year old um i feel like it's just awesome being able to travel the world and show them the experiences and that it doesn't matter if someone don't judge a book by its cover we have guys that are tattooed ear piercings face tattoos that are the sweetest nicest human beings on the face of the earth um you know and then you have you know we have uh, some Mormons that are with, they wouldn't swear. They don't even, you know, don't <laughs> d- not even think about t- uh, drinking a beer or anything like that. You know, so <laughs> it doesn't matter who you are, or where you come from. If you're passionate about what you do, you can make it.
0: it. just You're such an inspiration to a lot of these people too, I think. And I, I know you are, uh, you've been, you've been humble from the very beginning, but I think you kind of over, uh, uh, overstate your, uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? You you inspire people in such a way that it allows them to be themselves, but o- not only be themselves, it allows them to push them to be even greater. And I think that you over you overlook uh, really why they do that. And I think a lot of that comes from from you yourself, Travis. You've from a very young age you've shown that that drive that that you know that ability to do things that no other human being could do on uh, whether it's two wheels, four wheels, a tricycle, to anything else. Like you really you really don't have a limit with you. And I think it gives this permission, almost this this uh, type of permission to these individuals without even having to say it, that just go be, go as hard as you want, go be as, as crazy as you want to be, go be as gnarly as you want to be, going as you want to be, as quiet and private as you want to be. But you can still be all of those things within this family and there is no judgments. And I think that's fostering such a unique side to your children. And I, I love that you, you're you willing to talk about them because there's so much value in that. And especially when I, my listeners, you know, a lot of them, well, I think the majority of them, I would like to think are parents because if somebody's younger listening to this, they shouldn't. But the the <laughs> some of these guys I've had on, I'm telling you, you know what it's like to hang out with some. You have some special operation friends. And so some of the things that slip out of your mouth, you just try to just move on from. Um, so these uh, you know, the the this environment you you create, I think it's important to talk about because the creative uniqueness to the way you raise your kids shows so a perspective. This Who's is- that? Lindsay. Hello. Hello. You don't know me, but I know you and Jolene. I used to race with Jolene. Hi, everyone. I hear you're just yeah. out there murdering with your daughter again. Like, you yeah, do. I'm very helmet sweaty right now. It's hot out there. <laughs> helmet sweaty is the way anyway, we like I'll, you.
1: <laughs> sorry, I, she doesn't like being put Don't on the spot sorry. too much. I didn't tell her what we were doing up here. So oh, she's okay. like, wait, what's going okay. on? Okay.
0: It's, it's okay. okay. She'll, she'll, snacks. She'll, snacks are not overrated. You may get all the snacks you want, my dear. <laughs> I anyway, what I was getting at was I think it's important to to acknowledge the way you raise your children because the, a lot of our listeners, like I was stating, are parents and they, you know, everybody right now, especially with COVID <clears throat> is struggling with one thing or another, whether it's homeschooling or things like that. And you guys come at it from a different perspective where you make the, the life you live that, that would want to call it a traveling circus chaos that you, you know, you picture you, you, you make that an education in itself. And I think that show goes to show <clears throat> other parents that you can look outside the box and have a a different way of thinking with their kids. And that's important to me. I have a five-year-old, almost five-year-old and he's a menace. And so I look at the way that you guys raise your kids and that outdoor and that family uniqueness and that just exposing them to different cultures and different people. And so that's why I'm, I'm glad to see that you're open and talking about that. It's important. I want to switch gears a little bit to you in terms of your, um, you and your family's dynamic and with your mental health and how that all um, conspires. Because for us here, we talk a lot about mental health with athletes and we talk about them with um, people with traumatic brain injury and concussion, concussion syndrome and things like that. And I know you yourself have had a few knocks to the head, just a few couple, a couple. Have, have you had any, any sort of um, effects come up from that, from just concussions and just racking yourself a lot? um yeah well
1: concussions are probably when I was growing up was the most underrated injury because you're like well I'm not broken so I can obviously get back out there and um, you know recently obviously the documentary is coming out in the NFL and um, you're starting to see a, a lot more uh, traumatic brain injury stuff from a lot of the military and being you know East Coast Maryland um, you know my dad was uh, in Vietnam and just having a lot of friends that uh, went to the went into the seals and, and different or um, you know special forces of whatever type um, it's really interesting to see, uh, how much more we understand about it, but still how much we really don't. Um, one of the interesting parts was I had the opportunity through boot campaign, um, who they helped uh, a lot of the vets when they come back over and they opened up kind of their facility, uh, to, to the nitro circus, just to send a couple of the guys, myself included, who had the most injury brain injuries and just educated us on brain injuries and, um, kind of that mental health side. And, the hardest part for us is that when you're an athlete or when you know your job is to be out there and you work so hard for instance to go to the world championships or the nitro world games or whatever it is and you hit your head and you're still like you know you're not okay but you're telling the doctor i'm fine i'm great i wasn't knocked out i was good and it's hard because we know we see these guys you know they want to be out there but you also know if they have another hit to the head in the same area um you know the the doctors basically said if you have Two major traumas to the, the exact same part, you know, that's pretty much going to be 100% brain damage in that area if you don't let your brain recover. Um, now, what was interesting was that I also learned there's guys like Bilko, uh, Blake Bilko Williams, um, Games gold medals freestyler. I I wouldn't recommend it, but we could, you could hit him over the head with a baseball bat. He could be knocked out for 15 minutes. He'd wake up, no symptoms, no anything, 100%. And genetically, there's just some people that are stronger than other um, people. But if you've made it, in a contact sport to an elite level chances are you're predispositioned you're (laughs) hard-headed we're all kind of hard-headed if you will Um, you know and and you've been able to recover but um, one of the big things was looking at airbags now Um, you know they save your your body but you're able to re-hit the same area over and over again the doctor said the greatest thing um you know about motocross is that when you hit you usually hit hard enough when you knock yourself out that you're broken and you naturally take the time to recover um, as opposed to like, you know, boxing and people turn the same direction. They get hit right. relatively the same spots. Um, same thing. You, you have that side you fall to. Or if you're in football, you know, you always hit over and over and over again. It's usually that same area. Um, so they said CTE, um, the biggest sport per capita or whatever was women's soccer. And they said not headbutts. It's hitting the soccer ball, even though it's not a concussion. Um, when, you know, the kids are young and they're, they're learning that and they hit the same spot over and over again. Um, not sexist, not male, female, but generally speaking, like they're usually guys are a little less susceptible than women to have, uh, CT from just, just statistics. Um, you know, and then there's also some girls that are stronger than any guys out there. So it's a really interesting thing where you have to know your body, but the first time you have a concussion, the second time, the third time, unfortunately, you don't know these symptoms and that's why all these, you know, rules are basically put in place. But if you're not 100%, even the doctor says, okay, you're good. It's been three months since your concussion, but you're still tired. You still, when you stand up, you get lightheaded. You still, you're angry all the time. You're sad all the time. You're crying for no apparent reason. That's when I know I hit my head. Like even, you know, and you can't go like, I'll be watching Lassie and you know, I'm just, Tearing up. <laughs> and I'm like, I never cry. Like what's going on? And you got guys like TJ Lavin, um, you know, who just got angry. He was angry for like a year. And I'm like, this is the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, some other guys, they, one of the guys snapped at his mom, he yelled at his mom and then he started crying and he went from angry to sad. And you're like, okay, did you hit your head recently? He's like, yeah, I had a bad concussion a month ago. I'm like, all there right. Like, and you gotta, the hard part is to, for the family to understand that as well, because you're going through these mood swings that, Um, you know, especially as a as a tough guy, you're like, Why why is my buddy over the corner crying by
0: himself? You know, and that's (laughs) holding um, himself, yeah.
1: Yeah, you just it's something that guys generally don't admit doing, and they'll just, oh yeah, like I don't know, I got something in my eye, and you Mm -hmm. walk out the room. But emotionally, when you hit your head, your body's its defense system to shut you down is basically and you're depleted in testosterone. It actually shuts your body down. Like my uncle was quarterback for Denver Broncos, had a lot of concussions. Um, and he goes out and he was so emotional. He just, he hugged everyone. They're like, no, this guy was, you know, he was golden he was undefeated in wrestling. He was all American lacrosse, you know, football toughest guy ever and have enough knocks. And it just, your body's natural instinct is shut down. And there's a lot of stuff that you can do. Um, you know, don't be afraid to go to the doctors. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And, you know, to get on just, just like vitamins that actually, you know, help you get there. And for me, the biggest thing with injuries is, is sleeping. Like, I can't, you know, you can't go to sleep. And that's not necessarily from the head injuries as much as from, um, you know, you've got something in your back and you just, you go to sleep and you're asleep for 20 minutes and you wake up and you just have shooting pains down your legs. So you get up and you walk and you stretch and eventually you're just not even there. So you start taking pain medicine and then that makes mm-hmm. your head worse. Uh, and then sleeping pills or whatever. Um, so that's what CBD has been uh, huge for me and just, not necessarily reducing the pain, but reducing inflammation enough that I can sleep through the night. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask for for help. I think is the biggest thing. With doesn't matter how tough you are, um, if your body has been hit and it's not recovering, there's a lot of things mm-hmm. they can do uh, to to help you. Sorry for that really long rant, but yes.
0: Well, oh God, no! My people love rants. They're so used to it with me. Don't worry, <laughs> this is normal behavior here. Welcome to the club. I was really excited there. What I just, I think one of the things I I find most fascinating about what you just said there was you you brought in a lot of different aspects that people can do um, that are, you know, nothing that it's going to cost them a bunch of money. It's like, look after your body, you know, sleep, like take the rest and recovery, do those things. But then there's something that you just said that I didn't, I don't know if I never thought you would do this, but CBD. So you're, you're running into that space now, which is quite nice to see. I'm glad to see athletes finally taking advantage of that healing property.
1: I, I was anti, I was East coast. I mean, you know, it's weird because you go West coast and you kind of got, I mean, my wife, she's like, Oh, your family drinks. That's like super horrible for you. And then her family like smokes. And you're like, wait, no, that's right. like, that, so it's it's just, a- I, I'm not, you know, like kind of the, the opposite. Um, you know, Lindsay doesn't or anything, but like, I just, um, it, it's just interesting. What is okay in different societies, um, different right. cultures, how you raised. but for, for my family, I like anything CBD or, um, spoke smoking anything related? was that way you were like the antichrist. Like you would be right. completely thrown out of the family. Um, but, but they'd be fine to pick up a, you know, a beer a after beer. the end of the day, you know, so that's uh-huh. neither, neither healthy um, for sure. Well, not neither healthy, but what's interesting mm-hmm. is with the CBD, um, I had to start trying other stuff because I was taking Advil from the time I was 14 years old um, for It's anti- for anti-inflammatory my knees, I, I had to, I actually had where, uh, the doctor gave me a bunch of syringes to go and I would drain my knee. So it would Jesus. be like, literally stick, you know, huge syringe oh, with like, you're just draining are. blood out. Yeah. Like, but yeah. I mean like, you know, like every day I, I, I drain my knee until cause like so you bend it far enough to get the foot peg. This is when I was trying to race supercross and I would ride for about an hour to an hour and a half. And then the knee would swell up so much, um, that I couldn't bend it far enough to ride properly. So that would be when my day would end. That's, and I did that for about a year and I was just six Advil in the morning, six Advil at lunch, six Advil at dinner, um, or ibuprofen. And I'm not nothing against Advil. And if you you need it, you need it. But my stomach, I basically developed an ulcer and oh, yeah. they were like, you know, had a lot of stomach issues. And they said, okay, you can't take ibuprofen anymore. You can't like, you can't do anything that you would normally do to get yeah. rid of this anti this swelling. And to be able to, for me, it was my back. I have, um, I, dislocated my SI joints which is everyone complains about sciatic pain so my my sciatic is fused um so when i sit down for too long like on an airplane or something i can't my whole leg goes numb burning sensation like just it's miserable sleeping is about impossible so when i stopped the advil i'm like i can't i can't physically sleep and mm-hmm. i was at wits ends and started just i'm like okay i'm open what what's available what can i take that's going to help this and i found that anything that anti-inflammatory, anything that Advil or ibuprofen helped, um, CBD helped equally or better. And this is something that's not bad for, uh, your liver. It's not bad for your stomach. It's something that's very natural. And, um, for me, I wanted to break kind of that stereotype that I was always brought up with. I don't know if it's just East Coast or, or just how I was brought up, military but but I was East that, Coast
0: as well, so don't yeah. worry, I get it. But you did have a Vietnam f- vet father, so that's a completely different ball game conversation.
1: <laughs> just be tougher.
0: <laughs> like I, you I can't sleep. Stop you crying and do it. What is wrong with you? It's like you?
1: <laughs> go to sleep now. <laughs> yeah. But so that was interesting. And then my dad, you know refused to ever take painkillers refused to take anything really and he got to where he couldn't sleep and he had three back surgeries in about six months and uh i mean this is personal i don't like to talk too much but just as yeah. this is a mental health podcast um you know a tough marine this doesn't make sense for people that don't know my dad or like know the marine mentality but put his hand on my shoulder and just i went to visit him and he goes hey i'm gonna get one more operation i said if that doesn't help i'll give it a month he said, I can't live in this fog of painkillers. I'm not me. It's not who I am. He goes, I love you. You know, I, I love life. love everything. He goes, I can't live like this. So if I end up like uh, like my brother, uh, uh, my uncle Richard uh, took his life just off after pain, uh, just, you know, great, great life. But mm-hmm. he retired. And that next month, he was like, well, my job's done. Kids are grown and um, couldn't yeah. deal with the pain. So when my dad was in that situation, I finally talked him into to trying some CBD and um, just even melatonin. Like he's like, "I'm not taking anything." I'm like, "It's you're fine. This won't change you. It's not like it in. You're not going to get a psychedelic. On it.
0: It's not going to hurt you."
1: Yeah. And about a weekend, he started getting a little more sleep and a little more sleep. And he he wasn't sleeping. He never. He's still probably six hours a night. You know, he's still in pain, but it allowed him. To get enough sleep to be able to mentally be strong enough to go to physical therapy, mentally be strong enough to do his job, to continue working, to continue being an asset, Um, you know, can he still construction? That's that's what my uncle's all. That's what they do, and for him um, to be able to keep going to work, that's a big part of his mental health is to be able to contribute. That's what his brother. As soon as he didn't feel like he was contributing, his Mm -hmm. his job here was done, and. For me, if I know it's just not me, it's just not my dad. I know that we're probably the extreme end of this. If we're being injured, you know, more than most. But you know, you see people that just sit down a lot. It's people that have never had an injury that, that still have back issues or sleep issues, mm-hmm. anxiety issues, and you know, this is all stuff that I, I believe um, on a small scale can help. It's not people are like, oh, well, it's not a psychedelic. It doesn't. I don't feel like I do when I take. them like, no, you're not supposed to. This is to help people you know? that want to get better be able to sleep a little bit more, to be able to get back to physical therapy, to be able to get back and do your job a little bit better. And if you're trying to be on top of your sport, obviously in sports, it's huge, but you know, to all the people that are like, Oh, well I don't need it. You know, I I sleep fine and I don't have injuries and I'm not trying to be that extra 5%, 10% better. Great. I'm happy for you. But for most of my friends that are getting out of action sports, you know, 30 years old and they got the rest of their life thinking about, Oh man, I got to get a real job now. And I am they're going to be sitting at a desk and that in itself is anxiety or, you know, I'm going to be working construction, you know, like my my dad. Um, and that's mm-hmm. something that you got to be physical. And with knees and ankles that are like my knees and ankles and shoulders, it's it's not easy.
0: No, well I I'm I'm just surprised. I mean I'm glad. It's like a it's like the happiest surprise because I I I don't know if it's an East Coast thing and it might be because I know I was raised in Ontario. So it was a <clears throat> we had a similar look at that. I remember my parents being like if I see that near you on you close to you you're dead. Nope. Yeah. I would beat your ass beat so bad. Yeah, there's like no there's no chance no coming back from that. There's no no coming back from that. And now I sit there in front of my mom And use it for my PTS and sit there and she just smiles and laughs and thinks it's hilarious because she's like, there's never never a thought in my mind that I would go through life and see my 31 year old daughter sitting there doing that in front of your father and I and being proud because it means that you get to be with us because it's healed you and and helped you. And you're present, and you're not hurting, and your body isn't on fire, and you're not just uncomfortably moving or drugged out on opiates. So that's a fantastic thing to see CBD in itself. You good? Yes.
1: Sorry, I gotta sign something right here. No. Here, talk to Hubert hey, real quick. What's
0: Hey, Huber, what's going on, buddy? Uh,
1: doing great. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. It's nice to meet you. Hey. So, Huber Is takes a podcast. Me She's like, so what's going <laughs> on? Say hi. To Yeah, say hi to uh, Brass (laughs) Immunity Podcast and everyone listening that will be listening.
1: Well, that sounds awesome. We're just here running for strong land, making things happen.
0: I know the poor guy feels so bad. Yeah, good to meet you too, sweetheart.
1: Hey, sorry sorry about that. We just just had rain put us behind a little bit,
0: so. No, you really, you really don't have to apologize. I, it's, I, I prefer things like this. This is how I am. We don't, we don't edit and we don't uh, do anything like that. We put a beginning and a middle and an end, and then everybody enjoys it because it's honest and that's the difference. Um, so yeah, getting back to CBD. So how long have you been taking that?
1: Um, so I started taking a little bit when, shoot, it's been, been 10 years now. Um, I got a, a disectomy, not a visectomy. Um, but they, I was trying to basically, they were like, "We need to fuse through your vertebrae. I was like, I really don't want to be fused yet. Like I'm already not very limber, you know, I'm right. 25 <laughs> or 25 at the time or whatever. And I was like, I just gotta be a different. So I, I tried a procedure that, that didn't really work. And I, I couldn't, I, this sounds silly, but I, I couldn't cuddle with my wife because every probably 20 or 30 minutes I'd have to move and I have to get up and she's like look we can't even sleep in the same bed I mean this was when we were you know dating and everything in the beginning and engaged and she's like look you've got to figure this out like you can't get up every hour to stretch she's like well I mean you can but I (laughs) I need my sleep
0: I'm not doing this
1: (laughs) yeah so um that was honestly she was like look Lindsay was kind of the one that first was like hey you have to try something. She's like, you don't want to get your, you don't want to get fused. Great. I don't want you to be fused. I like you doing all the stuff you're doing. Like let's just see if we can help get this under control without, because at that point I already had you know kind of the ulcers and everything from, uh, from the ibuprofen. Yeah. She's like, okay, so what can we do? And started researching CBD and different, um, you know, at that point, it wasn't quite as many companies going and, and everything. And um, you know, I, I really, I, I started taking it. the first day. I'm like, I didn't do anything. She's like, give it like two or three days. And within a month, I'm like, I'm sleeping through the night. She goes, I told you, I said, Oh, it's probably just timing. So I stopped taking it
0: <laughs> about
1: a week later. Start sleeping less. You got, you're not, nothing's working. I'm like, man, my back's sore again. She's like, I told you, I was like, yeah. oh, it's coincidence. I was just, I was road more this week. The same as my dad, yeah. my dad did the same thing. He's like, Oh, well, yeah, I was sleeping better, but it was, you know, it was probably just, probably just time. I'm like, "All right, stop taking it." He's like, "Oh, you wouldn't believe, but man, it's, my back hurts again. I can't sleep." I'm like, "Did you stop taking CBD?" "Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm sure that didn't do it." <laughs> you're like, "All right, you can only do this cycle so many times if you're like, "Oh, there's something to it."
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, But fun. I mean this
1: also this this also comes with just the CBD alone for me it isn't enough. You have to then go and you have to take that and work on the physical therapy. You have to um, right. For me, mel- melatonin also helps because when you don't sleep, you get low in B vitamins. B vitamins produce melatonin. So you have less energy in the day and you have less ability for your body to actually sleep correctly at night. So the less you sleep, the more tired you get, the more tired you get, the less you sleep. It's this really vicious cycle. So yeah. until you get your body correct and and go in and, and you know do some blood work and see where you're mm-hmm. low, um, you know, I was. Mm-hmm super low in testosterone. I talked to everybody else that was like in action sports, almost every single person in football and whatever, they're all low. And I'm like, these are the manliest dudes in the world. Like what's going on. Right. But it's your body, you hit your head enough. It says, no, like we're not making any more testosterone. That's going to make you do yeah, stupid stuff and go hit your head again. Um, right. so your body's protection mechanism actually kind of hurts you in the long run. It's like, you know, swelling and anti-inflammatory. It's just telling you mm-hmm. you've done too much, but at a certain point you need to be able to, uh, to use that. And when it starts pushing on the, um, you know, that stops your joints from moving how you want. Then you hurt other stuff, or it uh, pushes on the nerves, and that makes your legs go numb. So, all bad
0: stuff. Well, can we pick, can we talk about why you almost had to have fused and what you did? That was the most ridiculous crash I think witnessed on television. Do you want to talk <laughs> about why your back is so bad?
1: I, which one? Um,
0: <laughs> well, uh, when I was, I mean, I don't know the one your tailbone went up inside of your spine yeah. in some weird, way. Oh,
1: so when I was my 15th birthday, um, I didn't go fast enough, landed short on a jump. And I had, for lack of a better term, I shattered my uh, pelvis, but your spine is connected to your pelvis like this. So uh, on both sides. So one side, the spine's here and the other side, the spine's here. Um, and all of those little bones shattered. So basically my spine went, it unraped myself. It went out, went out the other mm-hmm. direction, basically. Um, so they fused all that back together. Um, but actually that wasn't the problem with the discs that I was limited in range of motion, um, numbness down the legs, that kind of stuff. But, um, actually crashed at X games was fine. Landed on my butt. Um, was able to ride the rest of that day. No big deal. Uh, but I had a couple compressed vertebrae and that actually had some balls and discs. And all of a sudden, and you see bulging discs all the time. It's not like you you could fall off your chair and get a ball if you land wrong. You know, it's not a big deal. That was the worst long-term injury I've ever had because I always treated it like an injury and said, okay, I'll relax. Well, you can't, the less you do, the worse that gets. You need your muscles to actually pull everything back straight. You need to be strengthening that. You need to be working on it. You need to be on a stand-up paddleboard, which I didn't know about on the East Coast until I was out there. But you (laughs) stand-up paddleboard. And I'm like, man, two hours, okay, most people can't do two hours a day, but when it's really bad, like, if I'd go out, get up at 5am, and I could go, Lindsay would go surf, I'd go stand up paddleboard, you know, looking like an idiot out there. And then the waves just, you know, whatever, go swim for a half hour and go stand up paddleboard for an hour. And by 9am, I am good for the day, and I'm going to sleep well that night. Like literally, and I could, that would last me two or three days, just literally having that that motion, that side to side, and that strengthening of your mm-hmm. core. Um, so if I can go like with my knees, if I can go on two 20-mile bike rides a week, my knees, I don't have an ACL or PCL on either one, they're fine. And it's as little as that is your shoulders, my shoulder, the I probably need I had a labor and everything, but need uh you know, full anyway, long story long. But that's if I do my in, or, yeah, you know, you do your ins line. and outs, you do your, yeah. your ups and downs for rotator cuff every day, it's five minutes a day. You know, it'll take me mm-hmm. two hours a day of physical activity, which I know is it's a lot. But even if you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning to get you know, your five minutes of that done, you don't have to do two hours a day, but it, it helps. your life.
0: Why don't you want to? Like, why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you rather? You know what I mean? Like, well, our, our, I mean, it makes sense for the most part. Like my dad said, so he goes, I,
1: I get up at 5 a.m. for work and I finish work at 8 p.m. So you want to find two hours of your day? He's like, I want to sit on the couch when I get back and have a beer. Right. I'm like, okay, I understand that. And that makes sense. But instead of sitting on the couch and having a beer, jump on your bicycle for two seconds and, and eat some CBD, you know, like, I mean, or, <laughs> or, or, you know, get on your little hand bike or whatever. You can still watch your show, whatever you're, you're hooked to, you're watching, you know. uh whatever you're addicted to at the
0: time. <laughs> So. No, but, but I feel like, I, I mean, it's, it's easier to be active when you're active. So I mean, from, from the energy level and, and what it does for your endorphins and, and keeping that momentum, but it's often getting that person from that point of where they're in that relaxed state to that active movement and keeping that and just building that habit long enough, that habit forming that 21 days, getting somebody to do that, then often you can kind of keep them moving. It's just, it's it's getting them from that point to that little bit of activity and making it part of their routine. And, and somebody has got to want it. They want to, they got to want to feel better. You know, they got to want to not have to take a handful of pills to feel better. They got to want to, they have to want to want to feel better naturally or on their own. I, I, I'm not for all natural things all of the time. Don't get me wrong. I just know CBD and cannabis, um, psilocybin and ayahuasca have been the reason for the past 10 years that I'm alive. And I know it's worked because I've tried the spectrum. I've tried the 10 pharmaceutical drugs that would have taken you down and you don't stop moving like on a tiny human. Like I've, I've tried all of that. And I know There's value in that. But I think there's also a lot of value in, like you said, the little things, like the little physical movements you're doing, the little stretching, the little, you know, just do repetition. It takes five minutes. Just do it. It'll help you the next day and it'll build and it'll progress. And so that's fantastic. I know that you, uh, you and your, you know, your dad and the way that you were raised is very particular, um, because it's a Vietnam vet. And that's a whole different type of veteran. You're not talking about Iraq, Afghanistan, World War II. You're talking about Vietnam. That's a very hardened individual, more so, I find, than a lot of other people that I've met that are vets. So what was that like uh, with a family dynamic, with your dad having done what he had did and then coming home and having, having you, a uh, higher energy child, we'll call that a good way to put it?
1: Yeah, that's good. Well, I and first of all, I mean, I just, a uh, thanks out there to all, to yourself, to all the vets, to everyone that, that served mm-hmm. to help, to help myself, all my friends be able to, to play for a living, to do what we love to do and to, to live the American dream. I mean, if you, I don't know if you can see the, the flags up there.
0: Not a lot of flags uh, at all. There's not a lot. Yeah. Of flags well, there th- those are,
1: those are all flags of, of, uh, close friends who, um, who's, you know, there's, those were all flags that, uh, that were over, uh, you know, Iraq, mm-hmm. Afghanistan, um, you know, one, anyway, long story long um, you know, definitely, I t- truly appreciate all those and, you know, coming up on Memorial day, uh, definitely, you know, those that, that have given, played the ultimate sacrifice, I thank you. And, um, you know, definitely we've been able to learn a lot as well from, uh, from those that have come from you know Walter Reed and, um, just to see, you know, you had a guy, Adam keys, triple amputee. He's like, I want to jump in the airbag. I'm like, ah, <laughs> so we put him on a big wheel. I'm like, look, start halfway. He's like, we don't do anything halfway. To five. I was like all right we let him go from the top and he missed the airbag and he broke his hip and I'm about oh crying God. in tears like oh my gosh he's like couldn't kill me in the war can't kill me here' to land and I'm like just the mentality I was I felt horrible I'm like I shouldn't have let him do that and I'm like I don't know it just seemed like but he didn't have legs so when he hit the bottom he lost control of the front and the one arm came I was just that was all bad but he was like this, that's what we do and even though that was to the maximum of uh, the, the oh. military mentality, this is this is what I appreciate because so many people, you know, they're like, "Oh, I'm having the worst day or the worst this," and I just right. love watching that movie. We were soldiers, and uh, yeah. I forget what the, the older guy. They're like, "Oh, great day!" He's like, "How do you know what kind of day it is?" And it's like, we don't know. We're very, we're so blessed. We're so fortunate. We're so naive um, over you know to live in the United States to, to what is actually going on and, you know, what everyone like yourself was, was fighting for. And, uh, that's, I just, anyway, sorry not to get off subject, but just want to say, thank you.
0: You don't have to apologize. You are, you might as well be from Canada. You're worse than me. Sorry. eh? I love it. Sorry. (laughs) eh? Yeah. well, good. Great. Now we're going to throw the accent and I'm going to never live that down. Fantastic. Thanks, Travis. But yeah, I I think that's fine. I think that's fine. I think there's uh, not a lot of people open up about it that are of your I want to say your caliber or level or public figure. Not a lot of people talk about the military. They you know they acknowledge it. They'll say thank you for your service if they're in a situation, but they don't they don't see it the way you see it. They haven't lived it uh, having a father. They haven't lived it having an uncle. They haven't seen what it looks like when somebody struggles with PTSD. You haven't seen what the ultimate ramification or result of PTSD really can be, but you have. And so for someone like of your stature to be able to talk about it honestly and say, you know, like we're blind, like a lot of civilian population, they really don't get it. They really don't understand it. And that's okay. And and people want to live the way they want to live and that's fine. But you are one of the rare ones that as a voice, and that does talk about it and does use it to help other veterans, including myself. This was an opportunity I never thought I would ever get. And so the fact that you did it and were able to come on and talk to us, it's, you know, that means worlds to my listeners and, and to the veteran community because people are going, okay, we're not, you know, even the biggest guy in action sports history, he cares, he cares, and he doesn't have to care. He doesn't have to acknowledge us. He doesn't have to. He can go do his live his life, do his drums, be a badass, <laughs> jump out of planes without parachutes, which just makes me sweat even just thinking about it. But you, you, you don't have to, and you do. And so that's why I want to ask you more about your dad and your family and your life, because you have had a unique experience besides all the other long lists of a unique experience. You've had a, a personal unique experience with our community in a different way. And so did you find it could be particularly difficult in any specific way that, um, maybe civilians might not have had to deal with, with parents who haven't seen more.
1: Um, my family treated, uh, injury and death a lot different than, uh, than mm-hmm. most families. I mean, my, uh, my granddad was golden glove boxer. Uh, yeah, he was in the Navy. Um, he actually was, you he was more of a Brawler than anything, but he uh, <laughs> he got a he got in a fight and uh, actually went off. Here, let me show you something real quick. I don't know if you stay with, but um, so they did a, a painting of it. But he fell off the USS Hawkins in, in World War II, um, and Whoa. Whoa. Uh, it was funny. So he just did a painting as a joke. But he said, "I went I went back for the ropes." This is just his story. I don't know, but he's like, "I went back for the ropes, and they weren't as high as a boxing ring. And I just went right right over. He didn't hit me that hard." you know i just i was just you know the, the ropes I, they weren't as tall so um it's the, ropes. So it's
0: the ropes the ropes, it's like,
1: rope the ropes i'm like they're yeah they're the side of the the you know the ship but anyway so uh, it was funny because he's got his shoes in that picture And i said Capistrano. his name was uh charles a pastrana i said what uh you you swam because it took him about an hour turned the boat around they they <laughs> the captain's like i gonna go back for him we're never gonna find him uh, but they found him and uh they said he still had his shoes. He was treading water for an hour in the middle of the ocean with his shoes. And I said, "Well, why would you have your shoes?" He's like, "Well, because when if he actually came back to get me, I was going to need these. Going to need my shoes." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that was That's funny, brilliant. but well, not funny. But so you got to figure like this is like the stories that they joke about. Like, oh yeah, I got right. fell off a ship in wartime and uh, waited for an hour. <laughs> um, you know, and my dad, he's like, oh, what am I?" Uh, My best, best friends, uh, you know, when he was over there, he's like his gunny uh, because my dad, he's like, I was the greatest thing ever. He's like, I made the mistake of putting in uh, when he went to to Vietnam. He's like, I wanted to be on front lines, wanted to be a Marine, like put me in there. And um, he made the mistake of writing that he could work heavy equipment and that he was construction and they put him building roads. Now, his uh, his gunny uh, was shot, but he's like, we didn't see much fire, much action. We were just we were just building roads, you know, building bridges, putting up stuff, um, trying to get, you know, convoy from one place to the other. Right, and he goes, it right. saved my life. He's like, and you know, I, I appreciate every day that that's where they put me. But, um, uh, but still to see, you know, to see what happens in war, uh, to see that kind of stuff. And then to, to grow up where I'm like, you know, my first bone, I broke, I fell off the, uh, the slide. My dad's like, ah, don't be a sissy. You know, like whatever, put that boot on moto boot. And I went in like two weeks later and got checked out. And he's like, oh, it's broken. He's like, "Ah, oh, you're tougher than I thought you were. But still, you're kind of a sissy, you know, <laughs> you, you, whatever. And then uh, the next time, so I broke the growth plate in my knee. And the uh, first time I tore my ACL, he was working on a jump with uh, the Bobcat. And I was over a different part of the track. He saw me crash. He finished the jump before he came over. The first thing he did was he checked out the bike. He's like, he's a brand new handlebars. I'm like, dad, I'm broken. It's like all right look we rented this we rented the equipment for the day from uh, from a friend of ours like i'm gonna finish building your track and then we'll we'll go to the hospital tomorrow if it still hurts so like oh that was just God. kind of the well you, you know i mean it's that mentality my um you know it just wasn't the same death was respected and appreciated and definitely this family even though we get made or not made fun of we criticized maybe for taking too many chances but we're the safest people around and this will no one will really believe this, but we've seen so many things happen. And we'll at least give everyone the, the knowledge. Like the most dangerous thing my kids do is like jump on the trampoline with, uh, the super tramp with someone that doesn't someone that's 200 pounds, that doesn't know about double bounces and stuff and just can't yeah. checked it off. Like as long as everyone knows what the risks are and what their ability levels are, that's what my dad from a young age, I was like, dad, you think this bed sheet will work off the, you know, off the, the roof. <laughs> He's like, no, I'm like, I bet it'll work. He's like, all right, try it. You know, learn. Told you. Yeah. Like you said there. there, it's like, I, yeah. What did you think was going to happen? Like, but you know, learn yourself. And I feel like that's what in this day and age, most of the parents shelter their kids to where they don't learn the hard way. And unfortunately the older you get, the bigger mistakes you're going to make. So when you're learning how to ride a motorcycle it, at 16 and you're on the road and you get scared, now you have a thousand CC, you know, or Hayabusa under you, as opposed to a 50 CC little PW 50, where your your fall rate is a lot worse, Um, you know, the consequences get greater. So the more sheltering that we do, the, I believe, the the more difficult the decisions process is being made. My daughter, um, she's only hit one tree, uh, but she hit it when she was five years old and a little 170. And came and she's crying. She's like, I'm never wearing a seatbelt again. It bruised me. I'm like, if that seatbelt wasn't there, you would have flown right out that window and smashed your head against the tree. It's like, okay. And now she tightens you. She makes sure seatbelts are super tight every time. So I'm like, if that was tighter, it wouldn't have hurt as much, but you didn't bother putting it on correctly. And then, mm-hmm. you know, so you you have to have, unfortunately, a bad experience to learn from. And unfortunately, my kids have made... A lot of them but we try to keep them from making the ones that they're not going to be able to live with so
0: but I think you you do it though you do it in this I don't the only reason I can agree with you and, and and know that is I grew up in a family where my my brother grew up racing and then I grew up racing and I remember the first time my dad was like here's a 125 you're too small for it don't go out of second gear and I was like cool I won't I won't yeah <laughs> and he was like, there's a hundred acres here and nothing in the middle except for one steel garbage can. Just don't go near it. And I was like, I won't, I won't. Third year at
1: the steel garbage can
0: right into it, right into it, slid, put my fingers right through the gloves. And I just remember looking at him and he goes, I told you, I told you, but they, I find motocross families, uh, BMX families, outdoor families that, um, a little more extreme sports adrenaline type families. They are the more safer parent, I would would argue uh, along the board in terms of everything and in terms of the way that they raise them from what they do at school, how they handle situations, how they handle conflict, how they handle bullying. And then you look at the ones who do no physical activity and do no, and they're any other sport. They're more, you know, there's some kids that don't like to be outdoors and do, and do ride bikes and do those types of things. That's fine. Not, it's not maybe for everybody, but there's a difference between that kid. And then the kid that is doing a sport, who's BMXing on weekends, who's traveling with families, you see the different development and you see them develop into, I arguably like to say safer and better adults and adults that make better and rational decisions because like you said, they've made mistakes and they've learned from them early enough on. And that's why they all have missing teeth, dark teeth, a cap on one, like most of us, or they've got like crowns or they've got like, hey, I've had this scar from here to here. And they, they end up having cooler stories at high school parties anyway. So I argue that it's just better.
1: Not well, yeah. And to, to go back one step from that, it's not like, oh yeah, just go out and like every single time I get, you know, my my seven year old gets on, she's got a thousand cc Can Am. Um, and she is. I go when she goes around, I always always go watch a lap just to make sure she's listening right. and she's doing. But I'm like, Look, this is this is not a toy, you guys. You have we've had special foot uh pedals made so you can drive this, like you know, right. we've had your seat special, everything's now we've done everything to make that the most safe vehicle on the, the planet, right? But it's still. She's still seven. She's still jumping jumps. She can, There's still stuff that can go wrong. And every time she's like, I know, I know, dad, it's not a toy. And that's for me, the biggest thing is just to understand as long as you understand what the consequences are,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: believe you'll be better. Um, so not to get off the subject here, but I got two stories for you. Is that okay? No,
0: you're right. I, I love stories. Hit me with them.
1: All right. So we were at Woodward grand opening. Addie was like, I don't know, she was five or six and she was jumping off of the this one third floor into the, um, into the foam pit. And she's like, dad, do you think I could front flip in there? He said, I don't know. She's like, dad, that's a yes or no question. I'm like, I'm, I'm not daddy. You're going to have to make your own judgment call. She looks and she looks, she jumps it one or two more times. And she goes, okay, dad, it's going to be close. Can I get a spot? I was like, yeah, I'll be down there. So I walked down and sure enough, her head was about this much too short and I gave her a little little push in and and she didn't front flip it anymore but she did it that one time and uh
0: it was interesting her part
1: but it was it was interesting just her and I, I would have been there anyway to to make sure she made it but it was just she went through the process and for me that was one of the proudest dad moments did it matter no did would it should she have done it probably not but like you know, she could jump off there and I could pretty much catch her at that age and whatever. So and there was pads on the floor, too, before the phone did. But um, the greatest moment that I had as kind of a parent moment, and it wasn't even my kid, was filming for Jim Conner. Uh, this kid, Connor Stitt, uh, nine years old, wanted to do a double backflip. So he comes down and Hubert, the guy that you met earlier in, in the show, <laughs> kind of runs everything around here. Um, he had made the, the jump, but it had a little turn to it. It wasn't quite straight. Uh, the landing had to make it a little bit like they call it the Pastrana land chicane. Nothing that we built here is perfect. We just don't have the room when there's trees and there's stuff to, in the way. So this kid's nine years old. He's going to come down this huge rollin' on this little tiny, like um, whatever, 16 inch wheel bike. It gives you swaps. Like I'm scared to death for him. And the first time he does a double backflip onto the airbag, he's like, oh yeah, no problem. I had that. I'm like, my heart's <laughs> in my chest. I'm like, okay. So we put the landing down. And it's got a little bit of a, a cushion, but it's still, like, it's a real landing. You can, like, be where Fleming rode out on a skateboard. So, like, you got to hit it pretty good. Um, we got a couple of good guys on, on BMX here, um, Brandon Schmidt, and everyone's looking and like, oh, this jump's kind of gnarly, and I don't know if we can make that turn and hit the next jump, and I'm running my Can-Am underneath. So he's got to do this double flip, land a trick that he's never done, make a 45-degree right while he's going down the landing, assuming that he makes it right hits a metal ramp and jumps 20 feet oh, um, over the ground, over a motorized vehicle that's coming through at 50 miles an hour. And if he goes sense. straight, if he goes straight, basically he runs straight into me. So he has to make the turn and hit the jump. Um, we, it was okay, but like kind of looking, I'm like, I don't know. And Connor, nine years old goes, all right, worst case scenario. If I don't feel like I'm landing perfect, I'll jump off and I'll slide to a stop before I get to you. No problem at all. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. I know I can land this. So he does it one time without me. He says, "I don't know how many more double flips I want to do, but just just go under me this time." He goes, and he's running mm. brakeless, by the way. So he's got no brakes on his oh, bicycle. Okay. Which I'm like, I don't understand that the whole new generation, but great. And he's like, They're nope. Insane. He's got his. He's got like five different plans for depending on what happens and how he's going to miss. And he sticks it perfect double backflip, and he throws in a backflip going over me. That Brandon Schmidt, who's like X Games. BMXer wouldn't even hit just to jump and he sticks it all first like one tick, one and done and I'm like man and I just talked to this kid and we rationalized it, and his parents were like oh what the heck but I rationalized with this nine-year-old like I would rationalize like honestly better with him than I've had conversations with Hollywood uh, stunt coordinators 100% and just to see that understanding and that what he can do and that's what his parents were always like well what if a coach just says you shouldn't do something? I'm like, honestly, Connor, I think if he tells you he can or he tells you he can't, I'm like, I wouldn't argue with him. Don't ever push that kid into doing something that he says he can't do because I believe he's got an innate understanding of what he can and can't do. That's probably beyond, he feels something that the coaches probably aren't going to feel. And if he says he can, just because the best rider in the world that's the Olympic gold medalist. hasn't done that,
0: mm-hmm. probably
1: doesn't mean that your nine year old can't. I mean, honestly, that's, you know, it's, it's that Probably weird. Your
0: nine-year-old can't. Don't argue with your nine-year-old. That's a yeah.
1: I'm mean, not I saying don't argue with your nine-year-old.
0: Obviously, there's ninety percent. are you... you know, ten minutes later, he's.
1: I'm like, hey, don't drink a Red Bull out of the fridge. I see him with a Red Bull. I'm like, hey, kid.
0: No, you're nine. <laughs> yeah. slap it out of his hand. Oh my god! But that's that's so funny to me because that is that's an argument for exactly what I was. I'm trying to say is these kids that are in these the these types of sports are are brought up and they're not. It's not like they're forced to grow up too quick. They're just in situations that normal children, if they weren't exposed to bikes or that, or that decision-making or that rationale, they wouldn't be able to develop that skill so early on in their life. Like you said, if a world, you know, gold medalist, Olympic medalist hasn't, doesn't, it doesn't mean that's not possible. It doesn't mean that it's not something this kid can do. It's just, you have to be able to trust in that child that they've learned enough from being in that sport. Cause I'm assuming if he's nine and he's doing what he's doing, he's been doing it as long as he can walk or yes. before he could walk, he's been on a bike. So, most of those kids that have been on bikes i noticed from like three four years old that start racing th- their brain development completely different their rationale and what they they see how they feel and and they are smart little individuals because they've been forced to think completely differently than maybe a child who has never been exposed to things like that or that type of atmosphere and that to me is a fantastic thing to see kids growing up with our generation brakeless that's a different conversation
1: i i would i would be against that but hey i'm i'm not i'm not his parent, but. At the end of the game, well, that's um. So the um, yeah, the little girl girl Kier uh, Serlin, who's here, um, she dropped in like I could never. I'm not good enough to drop into any skate park without breaks, especially when there's other people coming and understanding where you're gonna. She just drops in, no hesitation, three sixties out. She's 11. I'm like, what? What is going on?
0: you can't compete with this generation coming up. I feel like we're 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 going to be in the wheelchair soon and these kids are going to be just, just fucking things and doing things like, I mean, are, you've progressed the sport so much. So arguably that's kind of your fault. So I'd like to just yeah. put that on you. I mean, if you decided Thanks. to just stick to like one backflip, like a normal human being did back in like the early, late 2000s, 1990s, we would have all been fine, but then you decided to up it and realize no,
1: I carry Carrie Hart did the first flip that opened Pandora's box.
0: I we'll blame Carrie. He did. I'm gonna, well, I guess we can, but I haven't interviewed him, so I can't personally blame him to his face yet. I'll get there, <laughs> but I, I will blame him then for that. But until that space is filled, I'm gonna blame you because I mean. My brother wouldn't be doing the ridiculous shit he was doing if it wasn't for you. So it's your fault. It's just everything we're gonna blame Travis for the sport <laughs> injury fault of all of our children. But I mean, oh, jumping man. out of the plane without a parachute—that's that felt like a smart decision. Um, well,
1: I mean, if Johnny Utah could do it, it couldn't be that hard, really. Point Break. No, you you're didn't not- get the Point Break wrong. reference. That's okay. No, I so got it. You're not
0: you- wrong.
1: Utah, give me two. Nope, nothing. No, nothing.
0: Anyway, I can't because I'm Canadian and it hurts me.
1: All right. Well, it's Keanu Reeves, a there was a movie back in the day. Don't worry about it. But he it. jumped out the plane without a parachute, caught someone else the way down. Obviously, okay. that was a stunt. They really had a parachute on. Um, but since then, a couple of the, the Red Bull athletes have uh, jumped out and actually without a parachute and landed in a net, which was way that. crazier than what I did. Um, no, a- but at the end, yeah, no, but at the end of the day, My job is to figure out stuff that excites me, that challenges me and that people can either relate to or not relate to, but they want to watch it. They go to Nitro Circus to believe the impossible is possible. They go to the Nitro Circus to see a guy with spinal bifida that everyone said would never be able to do anything in action sport or sport in general while the audience and himself and the riders and inspire every single person there that no matter what your injury is and how many kids that have had spinal bifida or that got hurt or that were born with whatever that were in a wheelchair have now been able to go to skate park and he started wheelchair motocross and they go around the world and there's so many kids that just they had not to say no hope but to, to be in that less hope category you know what i mean like mm-hmm. They like, oh man, I love skating. I love BMX. I could never do this. Well, Aaron Fotheringham was like, yes, I can. And yes, I will. And he has done so much and broken so many barriers down for what's possible. And when you go to Nitro Circus and you see stuff that you think is 100% not possible, and someone does it, they land it for the first time. Even if it's a, a 360 on a land boogie board, you know, when someone does something that's that it, it inspires, like I had a mom that yeah. wants to tell me, she's like, I didn't want my kids to get into action sports. I don't know where he picked up a skateboard. This is, I was trying to talk him out of it. I didn't want him with these hoodlums and derelicts.
0: And <laughs> she
1: goes, I found myself halfway through the Nitro Circus show that I did not want to come to. And I'm standing <laughs> cheering because every single one of the, the cast, if you will, us, were are mm-hmm. all out. We stopped the show completely to go hug Dusty Weigel because right. he landed on this, we put a, wheels on a boogie board. And we're like, you're not going to be able to make it. You're going to fly off. You can't steer it. He's on his belly. And he's hopping the thing right, left, trying to, he goes off the ramp, throws it in a 360, throws it under his feet. He's got flippers and a speedo on. And help. <laughs> but if he misses, he gets, all the skin gets taken off by the resi. And he's oh, crashed God. every single show and refused to do it with any more padding. He has no skin down either one of his legs. His back is just raw. And you're oh like, dude, God. just please just put some pads on. Nope, I'm gonna land it. And he lands that, we stop the show. Everyone goes and we cheer him. The crowd's going nuts, they don't know why. They just saw something just ridiculous that they didn't expect to see. And we're so pumped for him. We're raising him on our shoulders and we started the wave and he's crowd surfing. His mom's like, I was jumping up and down clapping. And she goes, I started thinking about it. She's like, why am I clapping? But just that passion is what I believe Nitro, if we do anything other than just entertain ourselves, that's what we bring. And hopefully it inspires people to say, you know what? doesn't matter how tall or small or heavy or light or what color, what race, what language. If I am passionate about riding a bicycle or a motorcycle or a skateboard or a scooter, don't care if you're good at what you do. We had a guy on that was a pogo stick guy, Pogo Fred, one of the coolest guys i ever met in my life. And he was awesome. And he loved what he did. And it's just this traveling Tour of passionate individuals. We couldn't be more different, but it's uh, when you get that together, that when you say mental health, mm-hmm. and I, I was never in the military, but I can only imagine that when you literally, when you got a it, it, nitro to the, the lowest scale of this, but when you got a guy that's in front of you on a bicycle and a guy that's behind you on a snowmobile and to the right on a, a quad and to the left on a, a scooter, and there's a wheelchair that's two ahead of you and you're all hitting the same jumps doing tricks and if any one of you messes up everyone's just going to land on everyone else and it's just a you know you're going to have a really bad day and that camaraderie that that teamwork and to say that hey can you do this and when they say yes i can do my job that you trust them and you don't think about it anymore and you do your job and at the end of it it works out and i can't even imagine to that level of the military and what you guys had to do and and you know uh the trust and the, the teamwork and the camaraderie but for us the mental health isn't when we're on tour It's when you get hurt. It's not only the injury, but when you get hurt, you go home, and all of a sudden, you don't have that group Mm -hmm. of of brothers and sisters in arms, if you will, that is there for you. And that, yeah, even if you're in hell and it's the worst situation possible, you're in hell with your friends. And what um, Marcus Luttrell told me, he goes, When you're in hell with your friends, it's not hell, it's where you want to be. And uh, I just thought that was really cool. And and having a chance to get to meet Marcus, who uh, I was lone survivor in the, the movie that Mark Wahlberg ended up mm-hmm. playing with, uh, playing him um, to, to sit down with him. And every time I thought about telling a story and he told one, I was like, wow, my stories suck. I just, i would never been so quiet in my life.
0: <laughs> no, no, your stories don't suck. It's uh, it's, it's, that's the difference. I think you kind of forget is when you're around people like that, your stories don't suck. And the reason why is because you do exactly because you do what you do you give people like us that when we finally do come out and we finally do have that separation from our brothers and sisters you bring the lightness and the entertainment to us and that's what keeps people moving you make people smile you make people happy so um your stories don't suck not even come close to everybody's story has a value well, i mean they're not on the same level as that.
1: your stories
0: that's okay. That's all I'm saying. You know what? <laughs> I never want, you know what I would say to that though and people say that to me, um I never want you to have to have, have lived my stories. I'll be glad to I'll be glad to uh to live them for you and hope that you never have to experience them and I just hope that people keep people keep doing things that they love and that they feel um, passionate about and that includes you and And you bring that value, Travis, and I, and I know you got to go. So I'll, I'll pretty much end it there, but I do want to tell you one thing, like truly from, from just regular society to those who have had head trauma, to those who have had physical injury and don't think it's possible to do the sports they want to keep doing or live the life they want to keep living. um, you, You guys make that, you make that look easy and you guys make that look accessible and you make that look like it is you make it look like we can keep living our lives the way we want to live our lives, because there's other people that are so much gnarlier than us that show us that we can just be ourselves and be accepted in a group. You've, you've brought this, I call them your group of mismatches because I think they're so unique in the best way possible. And you've taken that, you've traveled the world, you've exposed the world to that. And I, um i'm grateful for you um for like for you just from like society um i'm grateful that i've gotten this chance to chat with you and you have be as open and honest as you have been for my listeners because i know they're going to freak the fuck out when they find out you're coming on and i know that you are going to continue to do what you guys do at nitro the only thing i will give you shift for is there's no stop in vancouver on this tour mister
1: i'm sorry i don't that's not my department <laughs>
0: I went to the show in Vancouver with my husband, um, he owns Atlas neck brace and matrix and we went out and we watched you guys, um, with our team of people and I, I'll tell you it's a it's a show that should never be missed every every human being of every age needs to witness it not only because of the cool tricks you do and the entertainment you provide, but the passion the drive and the the you bring belief to people that you can do anything and that to me, God Travis, if you just do one thing in your life you've done uh, you've done everybody a huge service. so thank you so much from our listeners at Brass and Unity and just thanks for spending a, your hour with us we appreciate it. All right. Well,
1: thank you for your time. Thanks for all you've done. And uh, appreciate uh, let me come on the show.
0: Thanks, Travis. We'll chat with you later. See ya.